Hey there, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. If you've got a kiddo who's got some maybe strong food preferences or might be labeled by some as a quote-unquote picky eater, you're in the right place. I invited Jenny Friedman onto the podcast. She's a dietitian who specializes in picky eating and pediatric feeding challenges. She's known for her playful and approachable child-led style and is the author of Stories of Extreme Picky Eating, Children with Severe Eating Challenges and the Solutions that Helped Them. Maybe you've been told to expect picky eating at some point in your kid's life, but we're not told about what this looks like and how to manage it beyond simply offering new foods. In this episode, Jenny is going to support us in offering some really practical strategies for getting ahead of picky eating while also supporting you and your child in developing a healthy relationship when it comes to feeding. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a mom to three and licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm really glad that you took the time to hold space for you by tuning in to today's episode. My hope with this podcast is to share conversations with experts from around the world and parents who've been through it so that maybe you feel a little less alone in your experiences and the messy side of being a parent and being a human and so that you can walk away with supportive steps for what to do next. Listening to this episode is not a substitute for seeking support from a professional in your area. I believe that holding space and offering presence to both ourselves and others is truly one of the most meaningful ways that we can express care. And you are so deserving of that care. All right, are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey there, Jenny. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. I'm really excited to dive into our topic with you all around picky eating, which I know can be such a big source of stress for so many parents. And I'm just really grateful that you took the time to join me today. Thank you. Me too. Thank you for having me. It's it, This is lovely. So before we dive in. Could you share with our audience a little bit about yourself, about your background, and what brought you to being passionate about this topic in particular? Of course. So yes, um, my name is Jenny Friedman. I am a pediatric, pediatric dietitian. I'm a picky eating expert. I'm an author, and I'm also a new-ish mom. So what I do um, in my everyday is I help parents really understand their kids' eating challenges and help them learn how to help their kids learn to try new foods and add variety into their diet so meal times can be better and so that they know that their kids are comfortably trying new foods and getting the nutrition that they need. This I kind of fell into this backwards, but I love I love eating myself. It's something that brings me a lot of joy. And um, I was always curious in how to help kids eat a nutritious diet and grow up to be healthy adults who have a nice relationship with food, like a good um, relationship with food. And just long story short, I got here and I saw that there's a fairly large percentage of kids who really have a challenge with food, who eating, you know, for them, eating isn't comfortable. It's not easy. It's not fun. 
And really here I am, I'm helping those kids, I'm helping their parents so that eating can be comfortable and enjoyable. Thank you for sharing a little bit about your background and some of the values that really drive the mission of the work that you do in supporting families. This is a topic that I feel both personally and professionally is one that I'm really passionate about unpacking and exploring. Our relationship as a whole, as individuals, personally, our child's relationship, and then the whole relationship family system dynamic around feeding and around meals, this can be such a big source of stress for parents. So I'm really excited to dive into this topic today. And where I'd like to start actually first is to share from my own personal experience growing up as someone who was probably labeled by those around me as a picky eater. Now, I was always a really thin child and with thinness came a lot of body privilege throughout my life. But also in my family system, both and, I experienced a lot of shame around the, my body size. So with some cultural context coming into play here, I have memories of extended family members commenting on my body size. I even have a memory of one family member while we were in the car making a comment about how skinny I was and making this really scary connection between my thinness and my like safety and my health. And that was really scary for me. <laughs> and mealtimes, I recall as a child being pretty stressful. I felt very much observed in certain environments and in some situations and pressure to finish things that were on my plate or to eat things that actually didn't really feel good in my body or that I didn't like the taste of. For instance, milk. Milk was something that I think was deemed would help me be healthier and help me gain weight. And I'm not totally lactose intolerant, but I don't think that I really sit well with milk. My body doesn't really feel great when I eat a lot of dairy or drink milk. And I never really loved the taste. And I remember drinking it and gagging and just feeling this pressure. And it is something that I had to do a lot of work around myself, both personally and within these relationships too. And while I did a lot of work around this, becoming a parent brought some of this back up. And I do think that some of the inner child work that we might do with a therapist or within ourselves is lifelong, right? And so when I became a parent and I began to notice that I would feel within certain environments a pressure that my child was eating a certain way, different than how I might feel if it was just us at home or if I found myself having some maybe intrusive thoughts around eating when I noticed that my child was showing some picky, <laughs> picky behaviors around food. And when my children became older and we discovered they had some sensory sensitivities, I found myself being pretty anxious about that, what that was going to mean for their own relationships with food and with the world around them. And so I share this because I really do think that when it comes to navigating parenting around food, 
that we really have to first do our own work to kind of reflect on our own experiences around food, growing up, some of the messages that we bring into our parenting journey. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing more from you about how we, for ourselves and for our children as parents, can support both ourselves and our kids when it comes to building a really healthy relationship around food and when it comes to eating. And I'd love to hear what some of your ideas are for how we can do this early on. Yes. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. And that's um, it's really hard for you as the kid. It just brings up so many, so many important points and messages. Um, you know, and one sort of the language that we use about our kids and like, you know, how that can make our kids feel and kind of how that can develop by, you know, using the word picky around them or to describe them. Mm -hmm. And yes, and how that influences our feeding practices and, you know, kind of choices and dynamic as parents. So, there's a lot to to go into here. And it's really, you know, thinking to parents of very young kids who are just beginning to introduce food, this is not too early to get ahead of it. I mean, it's not something that you need to worry about, like, oh my God, my child's going to be picky and what do I do? But this is a great time to start to create a positive and comfortable feeding relationship and to really set the stage for, um, you know, helping your child learn how to eat comfortably and confidently and competently mm. as well. So if you, um, you know, are this kind of person, or if you are somebody who's had any sort of kind of history with food that, um, that might make you feel like you want to take a moment to reflect, like as you're really just starting to introduce mm. food to a child, like this is a really good time to even just think about how was I fed? How did I like that? How do I want my family to be fed? You know, how do I feel about food and eating and what's important to me and how do we, um, you know, how, just have, what, what do I want it to be like to plan it? Cause it's actually, it's not like eating is nor, you know, it's natural, but it's not like, it's a skill that we have to learn. And it's something that we have to help our kids learn as well to help teach them and work through with them. So being deliberate about it, it makes sense. And having a plan really makes sense and is normal. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you, you mentioned this piece around just like doing our own self-reflection. Um, and this is something that I will have conversations with clients about often um, because, Eating is something that we do to live. We do it every day. Um, and if someone has a, say, complicated relationship with something, um, a lot of times they might try to avoid that thing. <laughs> and this isn't something that that we can't can or it. want to avoid, right? And it's not, and it's also not just an individual experience. There's so many relational factors that can come into play. I know that for me and my husband, we both had, you know, some really different experiences around eating and what was available um, growing up. And so, for example, um, when I go grocery shopping, I buy a lot of snacks. There's a, I love snacks. And so I get a lot of snacks. We had a lot of snacks in our pantry. And growing up, we actually had a snack drawer. Like I remember that pretty vividly. And I remember my husband just being like, I, you had a snack drawer? And, you know, and he has memories of like going to friends' houses and like 
that's where he would like eat those sort of snacks. And so having it around, he felt he felt like almost like he couldn't like trust himself around some of these snacks. And so it's it was a really interesting thing for us to have a conversation around, you know, just that. Like what do we bring into the into the house and what's available and um, how did we grow up differently? And so I share this because I do think that before we can take our kids somewhere, we've got to be able to go there ourselves and not just individually, but if we are partnered um, to be able to have these conversations with our partner. One of the things that I recommend to, to most couples or and individuals before they have children is to do some of these self-reflections and together reflections. And so literally actually asking each other, like, what was what was eating like growing up? And what was your family's dynamics around food? Um, everything from when they eat to what's offered um, to and what's in the pantry and all of these things and what is said about food um, so that you guys can both decide based off of our history and our context, is there anything that we want to shift here or change or any rituals that are important to us that we want to bring into the family home um, as we create our own family? And so as I think as a therapist, I'm always going to right, come back to this piece of like doing our own work too um, as parents. And, and, then, and then the question that I want to bring to you is understanding – First, I guess, developmentally, like why kids become picky, um, if we want to use that word, yeah. um, just for the sake of this conversation, because yeah. I think most people hear that word and they can quickly understand what behaviors potentially might be around that. But maybe you can speak to that a little bit too. Um, so why do kids become picky and when does it usually start? How long does it usually last? Like, Can we get a sense more of understanding this developmental process for children? Definitely. Um, so first of all, I agree with you. The word picky is really not perfect, but it's something that we understand. So we can go with the word picky and um, really picky eating picky is, is normal. It's developmentally normal. We think that most kids will go through this. So the onset tends to be between about two and four years. The peak would be right in the middle around three years. And the resolution um, might take until they're about, kids are about four and a half, five and a half. Um, so it could be lasting a couple of years, you know, three years, two years, one year for some. Um, it's very variable and this will look different for everybody. And it is normal. So we want you to know that, that some things, you're not doing something wrong. Your child isn't doing something wrong. Noticing a shift in eating habits and food preferences is totally normal. And that's, here's, here's why. So one is a change in nutritional needs. So the young kids, babies, you know, your six-month-old, your even your 12-month-old to some extent have really, really high nutritional needs. They're doing so much growing when they're little. And by the time they kind of reach toddlerhood, um, even around like 18 months, which is anecdotally when I hear a lot of parents start to notice a change in eating habits or like those first signs of pickiness, um, at that point, we're seeing a change in nutritional needs they're going down. So our kids start to eat less. They don't need as much food. And I, um, my son is 14 months old and I, we were at his 12 month, um, you know, well visit a couple of months ago. 
And the pediatrician told me, you know, don't be surprised if really like his eating changes and we're, we're looking at like one good meal a day. So she said, it's usually breakfast and everybody's different, but breakfast does tend to be, you know, they're waking up hungry. So it is normal for the amount of food that they eat to change. The other things that are going on are potential changes in food preferences and their palate changing. So some people say that like babies like everything um, and then they hit a point and, and that might be true. Like, and I can say my son like has not really met a food that he doesn't like. Um, but when we get a little bit older, our palate starts to change. Some people say that this is like going back to kind of the caveman years or it's really like rooted, you know, it has an evolutionary root um, where kids start to become more independent and therefore they have a greater risk of you know, kind of doing dangerous things with foods, eating things that they shouldn't or that are bad for them, like poisonous foods, you know, berries, like this is back really to our caveman days kind of. So a change in palate and taste preferences, particularly for bitter foods, which are those like poisonous foods and also our vegetables. That can be a reason why we see a change in eating habits. The other one, another big one is um, just growing independence. And kids know that food is one area where they can really assert themselves and be in control. And so we start to see maybe a little bit of a power struggle or the practicing, you know, the new ability to say no. So all of those together are, um, you know, can kind of create like the perfect storm of pickiness. Um, but it is totally, totally normal. That makes so much sense. And I never even considered the evolutionary piece of this because, yeah, it's so interesting. I haven't, um, my youngest is almost one and a half. So she's like at that stage where, you know, I have the perspective now because I have two older children that like when she was eating all the things, like you could give her anything and she would eat it. And it was like, oh my gosh, this child gets so such a variety, like such a, you know, I'm doing air quotes, like good eater. Right. Um, and I'm doing the air quotes because having food preferences does not make you a bad eater. Um, but, you know, I think it's so easy to kind of get really used to that. And then all of a sudden, things start to change. And I never considered this evolutionary perspective of it, but it makes so much sense that they would start to um, no, no longer want certain things. Like she used to love raspberries and now you put a raspberry on her plate and it goes on the floor for yeah. the dog, you know, and then I'm quickly trying to pick it up so the dog doesn't eat it. Um, but yeah, that's a berry. And I could I could see how from an evolutionary perspective that – Certain things that have certain maybe more bitter flavors or um, things such as berries would be something that they would maybe reject um, just from like a s evolutionary safety like standpoint. Okay, that context I feel like is so helpful because in the moment when our child starts to maybe reject some of these things, it would be really nice to be able to take a moment to pause and breathe and remind ourselves that from a developmental perspective, they're right on track. Can I ask though, what might be some red flags or signals that maybe some more support here is needed or it's it's something that's maybe out of the sort of uh, milestone ranges, right? I want to be really thoughtful that like there is a big range here. Um, but I know that like, for instance, my two older children who have sensory processing um, sensitivities, 
um, there were some signs um, that they were more sensitive to some of their sensory experiences, and and food is a very much a very sensory experience. And so, I'd love to hear from you just a little bit for those who have little ones. Um, what might be some things to look for where extra support might be needed, or a a visit to the pediatrician to get some resources or support might be helpful. Definitely. So this looks so different for everybody. Um, It really depends where you are in your journey. So one of them could be if you feel like it's really persisting for a longer duration than what feels kind of normal. So if you like, you know, you're friends, kids, you know, they're saying like, oh, we're, we're out of that stage and you're still there. Um, this is kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but if you feel like it's really persisting, that can be a sign um, because picky eating should be something that kids grow out of. But when we're in this moment, we're, we're kind of in that, yeah, noticing those signs, some red flags could be avoiding entire food groups. Um, and that could signal maybe a sensory processing, maybe an oral motor, you know, is meat really challenging? Um, Mm -hmm. something, you know, that you brought up like dairy is dairy challenging, maybe not only from like a sensory or a, you know, kind of a functional, but maybe something on the inside doesn't feel Mm -hmm. good. So we're looking at some sensitivities or GI issues. That's Mm -hmm. always something to look out for, um, that can be causing, you know, food, um, just causing our, our child's food preferences. Um, so the types of foods that your child's eating, if they're really sticking to, um, one particular type or color or texture of food, that can be a potentially a signal of sensory, any sort of, um, distress while they are eating, like a difficulty touching food or having the food in their mouth, potentially gagging. Some of that can be normal. Um, but some of it, it's not necessarily. So it's always just good to get something checked if you're concerned. Um, if you notice your child having trouble, I think I maybe just said this, touching food, um, having mm-hmm. food on their face or their hands, that can mm-hmm. be a sign as well. Um, weight loss is also, so a change in weight or maybe difficulties going to the bathroom, constipation. Those could mm-hmm. also be a sign that like your child's really just not getting the nutrition that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, another another sign that we tend to see is really the types of foods. So if your child is dropping foods, it can be normal for kids to cycle in and out and go through sort of phases where I'm really into Cheerios today, you know, or for a couple of weeks and then I need a break. But our more extreme picky eaters or the kids where something else may be going on, they don't go back to those foods. So they mm-hmm. drop foods, their diet's getting smaller and smaller. Maybe it's really down to under 20 foods, 10 foods, a handful of foods. Those are some signs. Our typical kids are still eating, you know, a variety of foods. They have preference differences, but they're mostly flexible and they um, continue to eat a wide variety of foods, um, but are more inflexible eaters are really just narrowing and getting more and more specific and um, sort of rigid with their preferences. Okay. That's that's really helpful. And if that these are some someone's listening and they're like, oh, you know, these are some of these red flags are really, are really resonating or um, what would be, since we're just on this topic right now, what would be some of the steps that you would suggest that that person take to get support? Because I know that sometimes it's like, do we go to my pediatrician? Do I go straight to um, an occupational therapist or a feeding therapist? Where, where do I go um, to get that support? 
That's a great question. So I always do recommend checking with your pediatrician. However, because picky eating is normal, a lot of pediatricians do not, you know, I don't want to say dismiss. I'm having trouble thinking of the right word, but it's something that often yes. is is just sort of brushed aside where it's like, okay, yeah. just keep an eye. It's normal. And and sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. And this is where, you know, you have to kind of use your mommy sense here and say like if something's going on with your gut. So bring it up to your pediatrician. It can be helpful to bring um, like a food log, like a diary of what your child's been eating for a couple of days, uh, just to sort of show what's going on and be really specific mm-hmm. with your patterns, uh, yeah. the, with the patterns that you've been noticing. You certainly can go to an occupational therapist, um, a speech therapist. Those are great places to find, um, you know, to get checks on oral motor skills and feeding abilities, and they can help you with like the mealtime setup. Because maybe it's a it's a quick fix, like ah, oh, the chair isn't supportive enough, or oh yeah, like that spoon just isn't working. It could be something simple. Um, you can come to somebody like me. So I'm a dietitian, and I I work with families, so I can help you from the food and the weight and the nutrition and the mealtime setup. And sometimes it's just really helpful to get an, another set of eyes out, out there um, and to help you just make sure everything's really tracking in the right direction. Yeah, and you know, I I work with clients who are parents, and sometimes the experience of their child navigating. Um, food preferences or picky eating comes up. And one of the things that will show up in my office from the parent side of things is is anxiety around this, right? Anxiety or guilt. Did I do something wrong or shame? There's something wrong with me and this is why this is happening. Um, And one of the things that I'll oftentimes talk to my clients about is one of the ways that we can kind of develop a new relationship with that part of us, that whether that's anxiety or guilt that's popping up, is to identify what we do have agency around. And one of the things that we have agency around is not needing to be in it alone, right? Is to get support, is to have someone to talk to about these things where we can actually get some information about whether or not this is an issue. And if it is, as a parent, it is not our responsibility Yes, our intuition is deeply important, but it's not our job to know all the things, right? Like I'm – like for instance, I'm not an occupational therapist. And so when my kids were struggling with sensory sensitivities, there was a part of me that was like – felt guilt that I didn't pick up on it sooner or that did I do something wrong because – you know, my child, uh, my oldest never really crawled. Like, did I, should I have done something different? And at the end of the day, I was doing the best that I could with what I know as a human and as a parent. Um, and getting more support from someone who this is their profession, this is something that they know in and out, and they can be that extra pair of eyes and they can support you and your child with your individual experiences. And that you know that you're not alone, someone that you can turn to to get support from, is a beautiful way to reclaim agency when anxiety jumps in the driver's seat or guilt and makes us feel like everything is out of control um, or there's this huge threat in front of us or that we feel really helpless around um, or feel really just bad about and experience a lot of pain around. So getting that support can just be such a huge and important step to take to reclaim agency in in the face of some of these things. So I really appreciate you sharing like what that roadmap can look like sometimes for getting that support. 
Of course. And I love, I love this, your, I love this take and it's so important to, to help you, you know, feel good and supported as the parent. And I can relate from my own experiences where I had, you know, especially for your first child, um, kind of somebody sometimes like I had my sister come in and say like, I don't think this is normal because I have a lot of parents coming in and saying, I didn't, you know, I realize now after having my second child. So it's not up to you to know it all. This is the first time, like this isn't, natural. Um, you know, the, the eating, it's a skill. It's not, it's something that we do have to work with our kids with and being able to get support. If you as the parent are feeling unsure or anxious or guilty is so important because those feelings almost, they make it harder for our kids. They make it harder for us. So we, it's almost like the self, you know, self-fulfilling and like ongoing cycle where if meals are hard for us, they're harder for our kids because they're feeding off of our anxiety and that can increase Mm. their own anxiety, which makes eating harder and decreases their appetite. And then we're frustrated and it's really, it's really tricky. And we just, you know, one of the, it's easier said than done, but one of the most important things is to have meal times be good times to be positive mm. and relaxing and fun and pleasant. And I know that's, you know, bringing up kind of like the Pinterest, you know, version of things here. And it's in reality, like life is busy and complicated and messy, but meals should not be a place of stress and anxiety. It's not helpful for us and it's not helpful for our kids, especially when they're struggling to eat. So that's totally. a really important thing to pay attention to and to address. And to this this Pinterest comment you said, I think it's it's not about like the what's that the what's on the plate is Pinterest worthy or the 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 surrounding the surroundings are Pinterest worthy. It's 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 more what I hear you talking more about it is about the relationship, right? Like the the feeling that we have when we sit down together as a family to eat. You know, I think about myself as a kid in certain environments feeling very like observed um, in terms of what I ate and pressured. Um, and that created a sense of, of stress um, that followed me for a while, you know. And, oh, my gosh, you mentioned like the the, the – pressure that you can feel as a first-time parent, especially. Not that these things don't come up with second, third, fourth children, but if I could bottle up the perspective I have now as a third-time parent and and go back in time and like give that pers- like give that bottled up perspective and a really warm embrace to my past self, um, you know, 10 years ago when my first was little, oh my gosh, I I wish I could. Um, it's it's hard because when you're in it, it's hard to see how things are going to shift or change. It's hard to see that this is a season um, and or that some of the decisions that we make that feel like feel so important and they are important. But like I think that the pressure that we put on ourselves to do things like introduce the perfect first food and have um, – you know, or to exclusively breastfeed or to only have our children eat certain things and um, to be, be, be very careful about what's introduced when. I mean, oh my gosh, if I could if I could go back and tell my past self, like, there's going to come a point in time where like your child picks up a chicken nugget, chicken nugget off the car floor and eats it and you're like, uh, 
protein. Like, yeah. you know, they're, they, they like eat ice cream and ketchup for lunch, it seems like. And you're like, well, you know, I, there's some nutritional value in there. Like, I'll we had them. a good time, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, and, and that it's going to be okay, you know. Um, but some of these things early on just – they feel all-consuming and it feels there's, – there's just so much pressure, I think, for – yeah. Us as parents around these decisions. Yeah. It's hard. Um, and mealtimes, I think it's pressure we're feeling ourselves and pressure, you know, from the world. And then being in it, these moments, they feel really big and they feel really hard. And I, you know, I think it's it's okay to have the big feelings. Um, but it's not sustainable. You know, it's not it's yeah. not something and it's not something you need to be going through when it's tough. We all have those yeah. tough times. Mealtime shouldn't be something you're dreading. You know, there's mm. there are resources out there for you to get support to make it easier for you and make it easier for your kids. And I guess to bring some of this perspective as well um, and to troubleshoot where you can. Yeah. Okay. So let's get a little more, just a little more nitty gritty here. Like what are some things that we can do to be proactive when it comes to um, picky eating? And yeah, how can we support our kids around this, but also ourselves because like I, I recall as a, you know, for myself as a child, the, the pressure around eating. Um, but I also know now as a parent that the mealtime can be stressful from the parent side of things because you're not sure like how, whatever you serve, how is it going to go and how is it can be yeah, there's almost, there's like trauma around some of it, you know? And so you can come into these experiences having these fears about how it's going to go based off your own past experiences or more recent experiences with, you know, mealtimes with your own family and your children. So what can we do to be proactive here? Sure. So let's be proactive first with our kids. And there are really kind of three big things um, or three primary things that we can think about to help prevent and decrease picky eating. So whether it's, you know, you're kind of leading up to it or you're in it right now, one of the most important things we can do is eat family meals. So share, just eat a meal with your child. It does not have to be dinner. It does not have to be every day, um, but it is something that's so important. So family meals are hugely valuable for a number of reasons, like social skills and performance in school. There's so many um, benefits, but really it's, it's, this is where we get that feeding relationship and it's where we can model for our kids and show them how to eat and introduce them to meal, new foods. So eating together is a primary um, like preventer of picky eating. Uh, so to try to do that whenever you can. For my family, we're not really able to eat as a family with my son during the week. So we just try to have uh, lunch together on the weekends. So do whatever works for you and try to have those meals be fun, um, pleasant. You know, it's not about the food. It is, but it isn't. So we don't want the focus to be about the food. It's really about being together. Um mm. And just having that be an enjoyable time. And this kind of leads into number two, which is really that feeding relationship. Um, and we want to be like sort of, it should be a nice dance with our kids where we are responding to their needs. We're setting some nice like boundaries and structure for them. So we are, you know, kind of, we are in charge of making, like get, getting that mealtime structure, when mealtimes are occurring and where, and um, 
what is being served, but we're not doing this, you know, top bottom. We are still noticing them, responding to them, meeting their needs, meeting them where they're at. So always providing foods that they're comfortable with and just really not, not pressuring. It shouldn't, again, be an unpleasant experience. This feeding relationship is really, really important. You're sharing your stories of, of stress and pressure, and that's not how food and eating and meals should be. So we really want to try to make them as pleasant as possible. And again, this isn't about like those perfect Pinterest, you know, or like pleasant bill kind of meals. It's just really enjoying time together. And it's about being together more than it is about the food and eating and how much and who's eating what and how beautiful the meal is. Mm. So those are two things. And then the third thing, I'm really into this for every stage of picky eating and eating struggles, um, is getting our kids involved, getting them hands-on with food. Mm. So having your kids help prepare foods, teaching them how to cook, even playing with food. There's a lot that we can get in here, but giving them some agency and you know, like information and involvement, having them get to know the food and develop some comfort is really, really important. This has been a huge thing to show that it can prevent picky eating and also um, decrease it if you're in it, help to make it better. Okay. These tips are so helpful. And I just want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the points that you made that really resonated First being, yes, how important it is to spend meal times together for all the benefits that you mentioned, modeling and all of that. But I also really appreciate how you made it very realistic. This doesn't have to be every meal or every day even, but when we can to get together. And I think about our own family when we eat together as a family, you know, we put the food down. There's no pressure to eat all of it. And we oftentimes are connecting through the meal. We have rituals such as sharing our highlight, low lights, or diamond in the rough of the day. Diamond in the rough being something that you were worried about or you didn't think was going to be fun and it ended up being fun or ended up being something that turned out okay. And we have little games that we'll play with our youngest since she can't speak yet where um, the kids will play like a raise your hand game. And she doesn't know what we're saying, but she knows how to raise her hand and some of the things that she responds to are just funny and we're laughing and we're not so focused on what is being eaten and how much of it, um, but the options are there. And this other piece you shared about getting your kids involved, my oldest was definitely, I feel like my pickiest eater actually when she was young, um, but she's gotten into cooking lately and we do blue aprons, which is really fun because one for me as a parent, I don't have to buy all the ingredients. It comes to my door, um, or pick out recipes. It's all right there. Um, and she also gets to be involved in picking some of the meals that come and she's gotten really into helping us cook some of these Blue Apron meals. And what I have found since then is she's so much more willing to try foods and flavors that she's never been interested in trying before because she was involved in the process. And so that makes me think though, she's 10, 10 and a half. And so she has a little bit more freedom to move around the kitchen. She has a little bit more kitchen safety um, in terms of being able to handle certain um, utensils and, you know, helping me over the stove. But it makes me think, you know, for parents with younger children, 
Is there ways that we can be incorporating kids in participating in meal preparation or helping out in the kitchen or being involved in the cooking um, from a very young age? Are, Are there things that the younger ones can be helping us with here? I definitely think you can. So, um, you know, you can adapt it. And it's really whenever your child feels ready. And for my son, there was a while where he wasn't able to help in the kitchen necessarily. I mean, from, you know, kind of day one, he was in the kitchen with us. They're watching, they're they're still seeing, they're smelling. So all of that's helpful. Um, And still encouraging them to engage with food, you know, during their meal times on the tray and just encouraging them to get messy and explore from day one, you know, from day one of feeding is really, really helpful. Um, But my son is really not capable of helping in the kitchen yet, but I hold, he's very interested. He loves to watch. So we include him. Like he's, he helps my husband make coffee every morning, throws the beans in the coffee maker, uh, that's as advanced as he gets, but then he watches, like we're making pancakes or eggs and he's in my arms and, you know, I'm trying to involve him as much as we can. He has a play kitchen and we've got him on the floor with a whisk and doing that stuff, but he's just watching and he likes that. And that is helpful too. And it's just creating this, you know, as you're saying for your daughter, like it's, she's developing skills and she's developing this comfort and confidence with food. And that's really helpful because a lot of our kids, especially kids who are kind of on the more of this extreme picky eating spectrum and the more extreme end, have a lot of anxiety or have some anxiety with food. And so being able to have positive experiences and develop this comfort is really helpful. And you can start to foster that at a young age with you know, this is food. Here's how, you know, here's how we can manage it. Here's how we can change it and make it better. Um, you know, you've got some control and agency and knowledge here, and it can be something that's comfortable and fun. And it doesn't necessarily, as you said, have to lead to eating, but it can lead to this general comfort with food. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about (laughs) meal planning and finding yourself like in a rut when it comes to deciding what you're going to actually make for your family. So I mentioned we do Blue Apron, so that feeds us two meals out of the week. And then there's all these other meals to account for. And I'm getting from what you're sharing the sense that offering variety is important. And I will admit that that gives me, I get a little stressed when I think about that because there's definitely only so many ideas that I have. And I also know the importance of rituals and routines and consistency um, and that that can really build a sense of security around food too. And so I would love to hear what your tips are when it comes to finding yourself in a meal rut or planning for meals. Yes. This, oh my gosh, this comes up all the time. And I mean, I feel it too. And I think it's from what I hear from the families who I work with, it is extra hard when you have that sort of stress and concern about what your child will eat or won't eat or extra limitations because of their diet. So it is challenging and really relying on, you know, we'll call it a crutch, but it's something helpful, something like a prepared meal um, or a food service. Those are, those are great. Like we do not have to be cooking everything from scratch and being original and fancy. Like that, that is not important. Really the most important thing is that you're eating together. Um, but if you do want to cook or think about meals, 
There's a lot of different ways that we can do it here. And so some families do really well with like making a menu in advance. And I, I kind of have to do that. I'm like, here are the five things we're eating this week. I'll figure out when they're happening. But at least I know that like the food is here. I have a plan. So that's helpful. Um, but for some families, it can be helpful to um, kind of have like these weekly or monthly daily themes, you know, so you can break it into, you know, like a Taco Tuesday type thing, or you can kind of have like, it's an Italian night, or it's like a, a protein night, like we're having a chicken or a steak or a fish with with a, with sides. Um, kind of think about that main part of the meal or a theme. So we're having pasta night, Italian night, um, you know, taco, kids night, leftover night. And that can be a really helpful way to think like every Monday it's this and every Tuesday it's this. And you can have a monthly menu or just you can sit down ahead of the week and think about it that way. Um, So that's a helpful way. You can kind of work around, make the sides, the things that your kids are maybe more comfortable with. And that's where you can incorporate like a plain pasta or just having some fruit on the side. So that's one way. Just make it easy. Planning in advance can help. Getting kind of the foods that you and the the recipes that you are comfortable with. Yeah, I I think it's good to get routine. Like we have these kind of back pocket meals that that are easy. It needs to be easy. So again, it's really personalized. But I think getting kind of some structure there and something something boring that you can say like I know every month we're doing this. We're having a soup night. Um, you know, we're having the taco night, and those sort of deconstructed meals can be really helpful too. Something like a a taco night or make your own pizza um, burrito bar. All of those things that we can really adapt to everybody's preferences because we all have them. Oh. Absolutely, we do. Yeah, we recently started in integrating a taco night into our into our um, you know selection of what we're gonna pick for that week for the menu, and it's been that one's a really good one because yeah, the kids can kind of pick and choose what they're going to put on their plate, um, and then it's deconstructed so there's little pieces of avocado, pieces of beans, pieces of meat, and that it oftentimes is cut up small, little tomato pieces, cheese that we can give to the baby, um, or she's not really a baby, she's a toddler now, but that we can give (laughs) to her. Um, And so, yeah, that's that's a great one. Well, I really appreciate everything that you've shared with us today. Jenny, can you share with our listeners where people can find you so they can continue to learn from you? Of course. Thank you. And yes, this was wonderful. So you can find me um, over Instagram. I spend a quite a bit of time there. So at Insta- on Instagram, I'm at Feeding Picky Eaters. You can also find me on my website where you get my book and my Instagram and my blog and more information, um, which is JennyFriedmanNutrition.com. And you spell Friedman um, like a fried egg, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Mmm, fried egg. (laughs) I'm officially hungry now following this conversation, Jenny. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all that you have with us around what can oftentimes be a really stressful part of parenting that we don't always anticipate being a stressful part of this parenting journey. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing all that you have with us. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to know when future episodes air and go and explore some of those past episodes. Maybe there's a topic in there that you've really been wanting to learn more about. 
You can learn more about my private practice as well as my parenting courses and workshops at the link in the show notes. You held space for yourself today. You carved out the time and you tuned into this episode. I hope you take a moment to honor how meaningful that is. Yes, to me for sure, but also for you. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.